Here we go. So, so hello everybody once again and welcome along to another episode of the Heart Shape Decisions podcast. It's Graham Frost here. I'm very pleased today to welcome somebody that I've known for quite a long time. It's, it's quite rare because most of the people that come on the podcast with me are people that I hardly know at all. I've just found on LinkedIn or on social media somewhere. But this at this time, I've got somebody that I actually regard as a friend. Um, and we've known each other for probably, I would say, getting on for 10 years. Um, and Vinette Hoffman-Jackson uh, is uh, a, a fellow speaker, as well as lots of other things. And uh, we, in fact, competed against each other in Toastmasters International. And Vinette beat me in a different <laughs> contest uh, probably about six or seven years ago, maybe maybe not quite as long as that. And um, yes, so, you know, I, I, have been, I have been soundly beaten by this lady in a speech competition a few years ago. But uh, and we've kind of stayed in touch ever since, really. And you know, I'm quite an admirer of Vinette's career and what you've actually managed to achieve. So, uh, but one of the reasons why you're on is because you actually work in education and uh, I'm doing this series of podcasts about people who work in education to try and give you, know, give you the opportunity to talk about what you do and why you went into teaching. And I know, I know a lot of your story already because you know, you've told it in some of the talks you do at Toastmasters, Vinette. But, um, so thank you very much for finding the time to come on with your very busy life. And uh, would you like to sort of just introduce yourself and talk a little bit about what you do and how you got into education, please? Well, thank you so much, Graham, for inviting me on. Um, I wouldn't miss it for the world. Um, we've gone back so many years, so I, mm. I really love interacting with you. Uh, teaching for me, actually, I don't know if it was a God-given path or I was just predestined, mm. but I didn't go immediately into teaching. Uh, I grew up in Jamaica, as you can tell from the accent, yeah. <laughs> and I grew up uh, very poor in Jamaica. And at that point, when we got to the end of high school, it was two options that were open, really. It was either teaching or nursing, because yeah. those careers actually provided a stipend. And of course, if you're poor and coming from a poor background, you're really looking for that type of career choice where yeah. you don't have the money to invest in your in yourself and development. And yeah. my parents didn't have it at that point. So I had left high school and I got the requisite subjects to go into either of those paths. And what happened, I sent out an application to the nursing school and I sent one to the teacher's college. Okay. And I waited for about two, two months to get the reply. And then at the end of two months, I, re I remember Friday evening, I was coming home and my mom ran excitedly and said, oh, you've gotten a reply from the teacher's college. And I looked through it and it had accepted me on the teacher's college, but somehow the mail was delayed. And so I had just a day to respond to say, yes, I accepted the offer. Oh, wow. So of course I immediately accepted the offer because I didn't want to miss the opportunity. Mm. And then the next day, what had happened is that the one for nursing school also came and accepted me. But by that time, I committed myself to teaching. So I thought, you know what, probably divine intervention. I'm going to go for the teaching. And so that is how I actually started my teaching career. Um, before that, I was a church. I was always in church. And so one of the things we always do is that I'm always teaching Sunday school and teaching the little kids. Okay. And my mom was a teacher and my dad was a teacher. So it was very easy for me to actually get into the profession and understand what was required. Yeah. 
Yeah. And a funny story back in Jamaica, I know it's not the same now because of course we're different and time has moved on. Mm. But back then in teachers college, there was a certain expectations. So if you turn up, for example, you had to wear a stocking in those days, Graham, what we call tights. So yeah. you had to be properly dressed. You had to present yourself as a lady. Okay. And if you don't, then you'd be asked to leave. Wow. So they were very strict in terms of who they allowed to become teachers in Jamaica during that era. Mm -hmm. um, I remember once a boyfriend turned up at the gate and I sat in the car and spoke to him and then he drove off. Oh. And when I came back in, the house mistress actually gave me a stern telling off. Don't you dare sit in a car with a young man out there. Invite him into the lounge and sit and have a conversation like a lady, not in any car parked outside. So, so that was the expectation for teaching in those days. And so that is how I came into teaching. So even when I transferred from Jamaica, immigrated to the UK, I still kept some of that. It has probably watered down a little bit now because it's a different country, it's a different culture. Yeah. But I still retain some of that element of how I was brought as a teacher. So I taught for about, say, five years in Jamaica. And then, of course, an opportunity came for me to emigrate to the UK. Yeah. And I came over to the UK as a math and science teacher. Okay. Now, an amusing story there, Graham, that was way before the pandemic and you had to do interviews online. Back then, we only had Skype to do the interview. Right. And it was a particular time when the UK was actually going through a lot of um, struggles in terms of retaining teachers and attracting teachers, especially for the science areas. Yeah. And so what had happened is that they had arranged this mass Skype interview and so they had several people in the room. There were about four of us on the interview. And the questions they asked were very generic. There was nothing about um, content or subject. So they asked us this generic question. And at that time I was teaching math and I'd applied for a math position. Mm -hmm. So of course I got the job and I packed everything that I owned and shipped off myself to um, the UK expecting to teach math. Turned up for the first staff meeting, Graham, and four of us were sat around the table and they handed out these schema works in these big folders. Right. And uh, when I looked at mine, it said physics. I have never taught physics in my life. <laughs> so I thought, okay, there must be some mistake. And I kept looking around the table and there was a gentleman next to me and he had a math folder. So right. I leaned over and I said, well, excuse me, I think you have the wrong folder. This is mine and this must be yours. And he said, no, 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 I'm a math teacher. This is mine. So when I asked around the room, I realized there was a, Spanish teacher, there was a math teacher, and there was a biology teacher, and I was a physics teacher. Graham, panic setting at that moment. I can imagine. I had no idea what to say at that point, because if you imagine, I've just traveled over 5,000 miles for this yeah. job, sold everything, resettled into the job. What do I say at this point? Mm. So for me, Graham, I said, you know what? I'm here already. I am going to do it. Wow. And so for the first three months of my career in the UK, I was one step ahead of the students. I had to go home and study, read everything, check everything. And I kept going for three months just to make sure I had a job. And it, it was really new to me, Graham, because in Jamaica, we're not as well resourced as the schools of the UK. So yeah. it meant getting used to equipment, finding out how they work. So yeah. in my lunchtime and after school, I would stay in there and check equipment to make sure that experiment worked and then turn up the next day and teach it. Wow. So eventually I, I had to get qualified and 
I'm, I'm thankful that that happened because I quite enjoy teaching science now and that's mm -hmm. my main subject. So obviously later on I had to go and do some extra courses yeah. and got qualified in the UK system and that is how I became a science teacher. So indirectly I am now a science teacher in the school. <laughs> well that's an amazing story, I didn't know that before and I knew, I knew a bit about your, your life but I didn't know, I don't think I knew that part, that's amazing. Um, did you ever actually have a conversation with the people that had hired you about that? Or did, did... Eventually, when I felt comfortable enough yeah. and I know they weren't going to ship me back to Jamaica, <laughs> I sat down and explained to my head of department, I'm actually a math teacher. But when I came, I was so nervous about what would happen. And mm -hmm. he was the one that actually recommended some courses. So at that point, I went to do some additional courses to get a, a degree in uh, the area that I was teaching in. Right. So that is how I became... You've worked, really hard, man. You've worked really hard to get where you, you know, to get where you are today. It hasn't come easy to you, has it? Uh, no, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, when I started, uh, started at a school in Luton. Yeah. And uh, one of the distinctive things that I remember that started my career at that point, there weren't many black teachers in our schools. Yeah. And in that particular school, there was about two ladies that were teachers. And so it felt a little bit weird. It felt a little bit uncomfortable. Mm. There, there was nothing racist in the school. There was no, I was not made to feel less than. Mm. I was welcome wholeheartedly. So that much I can say for that school in Luton, they really gave me a lot of opportunities. They understood it was a cultural difference and so many other things that went wrong. Um, one of the things in Jamaica with saying two, you know, you have a symbol for two. Yes. And I remember turning up to class one day and instead of putting the palm out and put the two, I turned it the wrong way around. And there was an audible gasp in the class. And I was like, I know I did something wrong, but believe you me, I have no idea what I've done wrong. And it was only later I remember staff turned up to tell me, oh, that one means that you're swearing and that one means two. So I went through a lot of liver trial and error until I actually get accustomed to the situation I'm teaching in the UK. But I started out at Cardinal Newman in Luton and they were very, very appreciative of cultural differences and diversity. So it wasn't a situation where you walked in and you have diversity on the door, but you don't feel as if you're included yeah. in everything. Mm -hmm. It was completely different. And I really appreciate all the effort and all the investment they placed in me because I went on a lot of training courses in that school. Mm -hmm. And eventually I started as a science teacher and I went up to a head of year. Wow. And to be quite honest, I think that is where my teaching journey actually started when yeah. I was head of year. And the reason being granted gave me a different perspective from the children that sat in front of me. When I was a science teacher, it was a child. I needed to get them from A to B or C to B or move yeah. them up. They were just a child and that is what I need to do, teach them. Yeah. I wasn't thinking of all the other variables that surrounded the child. Mm. But when I became head of year and I was more involved with the background of the children, where they're from, the issues that they're having, the personal difficulties, then you started to see children in a whole different light. And you realize Tommy's never going to get an A because Tommy has 50 different things outside of school that is yeah. impacting at this moment. Yeah. And me sitting there and shouting and saying, do this, do this, do this, or giving him loads of work is never going to help because yeah. he's not going to appreciate what I'm doing because mm. at that age, he has too many issues. Yeah. 
So that was, I think, the turning point in my teaching career where I start to see each child as an individual. And I recognize that some people can understand this. Some people can take this. Some days you have kids coming into my class and just by that look, I realize today is not the day to be forcing them to do work. Give them a five minute timeout, mm-hmm. have a conversation afterwards and try and arrange some catch up session because you can clearly see that this child is not gonna learn. Yeah, And I think that is one of the strength of my teaching over the years, that connection with kids. Yeah. Because it's not about going in class and saying, we have 50 things to do today, let's do it. Right. It's about understanding the children and understanding where they are. So if you come into my class, Graham, on a day I might be teaching, say, sustainable energy yeah and a child might say to me oh miss i went to this and i saw this what does that mean and i will go off on a tangent because that intrigues them at the moment and once i get them in and get them sold then it's much easier to talk about sustainable energy because they can link it to something that they are familiar with so my teaching is a little bit different i'm more facilitator than teacher most of the time yeah i think that's a really good point people's People said to me, you know, in my training, I've never been a teacher, but I've been a trainer for mm. 25 years. And yes. I eventually got round to the position where I, I actually said that I was a learning facilitator mm-hmm. rather than a trainer, because a trainer is supposed to be the fountain of all knowledge and actually just talks about what they know, whereas a learning facilitator is actually about facilitating the learning that other people might be able to bring to the, you know, uh, bring to the table so you, well, especially when you're working with adults if you're for instance training managers which I used to do um, a lot of those managers have got experience of being managers already so you know get, exactly. them, to, get, get them to uh, get them to share their experiences rather than me just talking about what I've learned I think is and that it, is, that is how, if you can get if you can get young people any any people but especially young people if you can get them engaged and involved, and I find that in my work now with young people, if you can actually much get better. them engaged and involved, um, much, much better. Laugh, make them even make them laugh. Yeah. But I can't remember there being much laughter in. But when I was at school, there wasn't a lot of laughter in the classroom. <laughs> and you know, I've I've been into schools. You know, when I could go into schools in the last sort of nearly a year ago, and I remember the last group of. Um, the last group of young people I spoke to was a sociology class in a in a, mm-hmm. a sixth form as in a school in Derbyshire, and you know they were actually laughing and, I, and they were enjoying themselves. And I thought mm-hmm. that is so different to when I was at school. Yeah, definitely. I think the term teacher was way back when when you were the fountain of knowledge. So you had yeah. all of this knowledge and you wanted to give it to children. But now children have Google, they have so many different platforms. I mean, the knowledge that they have on their smartphone is nothing compared to, you know, your knowledge. So you still need to value them. And some of them have experiences that they can share things. And so I find if you give them that opportunity to share, they feel like they are part of the learning journey. So they're not being told to do something. They're actually learning and enjoying it. And we learn by making different connections to different things. Sometimes it's a random thing that trigger memory. So I always try to see if I can cater to the different aspects of how someone learn. So you might find I'm teaching sustainable energy. I am doing something about a little community in Africa that is doing something. I am doing the equations that are involved in calculating certain things. I'm doing a random array of different things. And so at least at one point, it will connect with some of the learners. So my classroom is a little bit different 
from the usual classroom. I've had people walking into my classroom. Well, they don't see me first of all, because I'm usually standing at the back, not at the front. <laughs> yeah. so sometimes I'm at the back and they're busy doing their work. I've had the head teacher walk into my class. Who is in this class? Who's teaching this class? And the children just turn and look and point to me sitting at the back because they know what they're doing. And I think, I know young people get a bad rep sometimes, mm. but if you give them and value them and highlight the skill set that they're good at, then they tend to actually do what they're good at because they want to showcase how well they're actually learning. So yeah. some kids are better at communicating, some people are better at drawing, some people are better at researching. But if you give that value and show that their work is actually as valuable as the person is doing something else, then you find that they are more likely to grasp what you're trying to tell them. So my teaching style is a little bit out there and a little bit different from um, the ordinary teacher, Graham. But That's it's something I well. absolutely enjoy with my kids. Absolutely. Yeah, I would have a teacher like you. Uh, you know. <laughs> Funnily enough, the, o- the only teacher I can remember that um, really engaged me, and it was right back in my, my first year of my um, secondary education. Okay, I had good teachers in primary school mm-hmm. as well, but there was one particular teacher that, and I was, I was recently in touch with some people that I went to school with via the, you know, back in uh, many, many years ago. Um, but I'm quite, I'm quite old now. And uh, they, um, and we remember that we had a, a Latin teacher, believe it or not, I used to do Latin in a comprehensive school mm-hmm. that was in the, in the, in the 1960s. Um, and um, Mrs. Armstrong was her name. And she gave us, she gave us all Latin names and we used to have Latin with her. <laughs> And then we used to have French with her immediately afterwards. So we had to switch persona from Latin to French. And, but we all had Latin and French names. And we could all remember our Latin and French names. And funnily enough, you know, I, still, yeah. I, still, I can still just about get by in French. And I only did it for two years. So that's because you were engaged. I was because engaged, you were engaged. Completely by, you know, by her. Yeah. Um, and, that, and I can still remember that all these years later. Whereas a lot of the other teachers at the time, I don't remember anything at all about them. Yeah. <laughs> you have you have to be involved in your own learning. You're you're not an inanimate object. You're a breathing, yeah, living yeah. organism. Yeah. So you need to be involved in the process. And that's particularly what I did. So I'm thankful for my session at Cardinal Newman because I think that actually taught me how to teach. I knew what to teach, but I learned how to teach in that particular school. Yeah, no, that's great. That's really, that's so really, that's I really did that for about five years. And then, of course, I wanted a balance just to see both sides of the coin. So I moved to a head of key stage three position yeah. where I was looking at the curriculum end. And I think because I had the foundation of the pastoral, it gave me a little bit of how to actually structure the curriculum to make sure people were actually, our students were actually grasping the concept. Yeah. And I took the bottom set because I, I don't know, I always go for the bottom set. There's just something unique about those kids, even though they're little troublemakers and all of that bit. So I took the bottom set and it's one of those classes, Graham, where they were written off. There yeah. are two bottom sets and they were written off. They were just saying, okay, keep them in the classroom. They're for science, but they're not going to um, get anything. Right. So the first thing I did was recognize, actually, they're not going to get anything because they're not focused on the knowledge. They're not that type of kids. They don't want the... A plus B equals C. They want things that they can actually 
get their hands on practicals and engage. Yeah. And so one of the things I do is change the program and I went into applied science where it was a lot of coursework, but it was coursework involving elements of practical things. And yeah. I found that they engaged a little bit more. And in that year, I think from a 14%, we went up to about 80 something percent in C's. Wow. And these are kids that were not expected to get anything. The head of department had to come down to me. She was shocked. She couldn't believe that when the moderator came in, she gave them all C's. But because they were engaged, they understood what they were doing and they were yeah. involved in the process. So they actually got that. So that was re really good um, at that particular school doing curriculum. Then, of course, I went into STEM full time because I realized there were not a lot of girls and not a lot of boys taking up STEM careers. So yeah. I changed to become a STEM coordinator. And this was just inspiring or motivating kids to actually go into the science subjects because most kids nowadays, as soon as they hear physics or that type of subject, they're like switched off completely. Yeah. And I think they're, they're thinking more of the traditional subjects that you can get into in science. But of course, it's, it's so different now. You have game animations, you have all different types of things that you can go into with science. Mm. And what I find is not the content in science, it's more the skill sets that you learn. So I was a STEM coordinator for uh, quite a while, just trying to get kids into the science subject. Yeah. And then recently I, I got appointed as assistant um, head teacher. And one of the focus points for me as assistant head teacher is it's a personal belief that I have from ages ago. And I changed into leadership, Graham, very reluctantly. Because in leadership, you don't get that one-to-one -one connection with the kids because you're more at a strategic level. Yeah. So you're at the planning level, but you lose that touch with the kids in the classroom. Mm. So it was reluctantly, I stepped up to the assistant head teacher role just to get that strategic view and to enhance myself and career prospects. Because one of the things I'm really keen on doing, especially for key stage three, is that now I find education in the UK very disjointed. Wow. So you have them coming up to primary school, then they go into high school, then they go into GCSE and they leave. It's like a production line. Yes. And quite often in schools, a math teacher have no idea what is being taught in history. History has no idea what is being taught in geography and geography has no idea what is being taught in biology. But we are teaching the same child and the only connection we have is a data on a piece of paper to say, this is his target, this is his target or this is how he's performing. So I feel that there's something there inherently wrong. So mm -hmm. I prefer a blended curriculum where we work together as teacher, we're teaching the same child. So if that child can't write in geography, I know that's something I need to focus on in English. Yeah. So to make that child better mm -hmm. and to give it a little bit of grade boundaries, because quite often you say to a parent, your child is on a two. They have absolutely no idea what a two means. How do you yeah. translate that into everyday language for a parent who may not be necessarily familiar with education? Yeah. Whereas if you send out a grid to say, okay, your communication skill is at this level, that means your child can use a certain word. Um, application is at this level, that means that child can do so-and-so. So if you give a profile, I mm -hmm. feel it's more informative because now the child knows, okay, in order to get to the next level, I need to do this. In order to get to the next level, I need to do this. Yeah. And you usually find most times, Graham, a child is higher in one level and low in another. So you yeah. still have a little bit of positivity to think, okay, I'm still valued. It's all that I'm feeling. 
It's just that I need to work on these areas a little bit more than that particular one. So I wanted to look at a curriculum where it's blended. Every teacher knows what the child is doing. And so that repetition across the subject area will strengthen that child going forward to their GCSE subjects. So that, that has been my focus for the past year in getting wow. that off the ground for my um, key stage three students. Well, wow. so how is, um, how is, you know, the big question, I suppose, is how, how have things changed for you? How difficult has it been to maintain your you know, your role and, and do what you're supposed to do in the last year with the, all the, all the um, disruption, to use, to use a very mild word, that you've, you've experienced with the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, it, it has massively impacted any progress, the rate of progress. It's not that it's um, stopped, but it has significantly delayed the progress rate that we'd like to actually see. Um, I think the focus my school has gone down, and I like that, is that they're focusing more on the mental health so even though kids have missed a lot of content, I think the priority right now for them is to make sure the kids are okay first and then start building in resilience and then adding the content. So I quite like the structure that they have gone for instead of, okay, we need to bombard them with a lot of content because I think the kids would actually struggle with that, especially the background of kids that I have in, in my current school. Yeah, It has impacted us because uh, I think a lot of people tend to think schools are closed, teachers are at home sleeping in bed or not doing anything because they're online. But Grimes, I wake up at, my first meeting is at 7.50 every morning. And sometimes I do not get off the computer until about half past three. Morning. Because I have different classes and I have to be checking into students. So even I'm calling students to say, okay, you didn't attend class, what is happening, to try and make sure they're okay at home because there's a safeguarding aspect as well. Yeah. So it means that for the entire day, sometimes I forget lunch wow. because I'm going through everything and I have to make sure I'm available for certain students when they want. And then you have the key workers, kids who are in schools. So what happened is that once a week, I have to take a day, go in, deal with the key workers, children, and then go back online. So wow. whereas people tend to think, oh my God, teachers are having it so easy. Furthest from the truth, Graham. Furthest, my work oh, I, I know that doubled. Yeah, I know. In the pandemic. I think people. I think people. Yeah, you've had to kind of. I mean, I know. I know teachers who are actually delivering lessons um, in the classroom to the key workers' kids, but at the same time, they're also delivering the same lesson online. Yes. You know, you've got so you've got. It's. I mean, it's comparatively. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's comparatively easy to deliver <clears throat> online. I can I can deliver talks online, but if I had if I had half half of my audience in the room in front of me, and the other half of the audience on the screen um, somewhere else in the room, that 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 is something I haven't experienced yet. So no, it's it's very difficult, Graham, because you have to stay within a certain position. You have to write certain places in the board. You have to go and adjust equipment at times. So it varies because you're in two places and trying to do two different things. And it's more than two places as well, because you remember the kids online are actually in different homes. So sometimes you'll hear some banging in this background. So you have to be all over the place. So it's a little bit chaotic sometimes. But, but I think we're coping better in the second lockdown than we did um, in the first lockdown, because of course our school have systems in place now. So we pretty much are on it and making yeah. sure the kids are actually learning and actually engaging in their lessons online. And do you think, I mean, do you think some of, you know, some of this will actually continue? Um, when you know when things get back to whatever normal whatever normal is going to be in however many months it is, because you know, I, I was I was talking I was talking to a young lady recently um, 
on the pod, on this podcast, and she um, she was a young woman. She was about she was eighteen or nineteen, and she had completely failed to engage with mainstream education. And um, she's actually, you know, her parents have tried to teach her at home, and she had, that hadn't gone very well. But she had actually found online learning for herself, and she had educated herself from the age of about fifteen. She 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 hadn't been to school. Wow. She, she had educated herself very well with what she'd actually managed to find online. And she, she was, because of her mental health problems, she didn't really fit into mainstream school. And, um, you know, I wonder whether that might be something that in the future, you know, blended learning will be a thing that continues possibly. I think it will. I think it will to some extent, Graham. I, I think mm. we will have some element of that. I think if it's even if students are absent for a while, we will now have the facilities to make sure they're engaged properly and can actually tap into lessons. So yeah. even if a child is ill, they will still have that now option to actually tap into lessons and get some live teaching at home. Mm. But I don't think it will actually replace teaching no. because you still need that human connection. Yeah. And there are so many other elements of teaching. I mean, you know, as a speaker, your body language is completely gone when you're on camera. And these are certain things that teachers can pick up, especially for kids who they may have safeguarding concerns about. Yeah. And for kids, sometimes the best place for them to be is, is in school. So you will have elements of it um, permeating education going forward, but not as a replacement to teaching um, live lessons. No, absolutely. You know, I think I think that's right. Because you know, you know, I think um, you know, for me, I mean, I I I've done I did a talk a couple of months ago. Somebody asked me something happened. So I did this talk, but unfortunately, all the young people. It was during the uh, serious lockdown in Madrid. It was back last year, about August September of last year, and um, they were all they were all having to wear masks in the classroom. As well, so you couldn't actually see the expressions on their faces while you were talking to them. Um, really, 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 really difficult. weird. Really, really weird. It's not, you know, you, and you think to yourself, have I actually had any impact at all? You know, because you couldn't see their facial expressions, and they were just all, all kind of sitting there. So it was um, very, very strange. But it's, you know, it's, it's a learning experience for us all, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, well, you know what? You're a Toastmaster as well. I think one of the things is adaptation because things will change. And yeah. I think you have adapted very, very well in terms of what over a very short period of time, because now the skill sets that I've developed in, in order to present online is something I, I would never have possibly looked on or even engaged in. So I think it's looking at the silver lining in the dark cloud sometimes. So going forward, I know a lot of teachers have done recorded lessons. They have done so many different things just to bring yeah. learning to the, to the children out there. So I think we have gained some valuable skills going forward, especially in terms of digital learning, which I think is going to be the way forward. So at least it has put us ahead of the curve in terms of development of these processes that need to be in school to make sure kids actually engage even if they're not in school just like the young lady that you said that actually engaged online but could not deal with a face-to-face lesson yeah. I mean we now have that facility just in case a child would need that additional help uh, the population of our kids involves quite a lot of um, gypsies which move around a lot so now at least we know they can still keep up with the content and engagement because we have that platform yeah. So it's looking at the positives coming out of it. We can dwell on the negatives, but sometimes it's nice to focus on the positives that will come out of um, this lockdown. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I'm a member of the Professional Speaking Association. Mm -hmm. I, 
I can go to any regional meeting that I want to go to. Uh, yeah. we had, um, you've probably heard of Patricia Fritt. Um, I have. Yeah, she was. She actually did a talk at one of our regional meetings in the mm. in the UK uh, a couple of weeks ago. And you know, I probably would I have actually would I have actually driven all the way down to Kent to see her? Probably not. That yeah. I actually managed to be. I'm sitting. I was sitting where I am now, and I paid. I paid like twelve pounds to attend an online meeting and got the benefit of her wisdom, which was fantastic. And uh, I know she's very she's very connected with Toastmasters as well. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, because I, you know, I know that's where we know each other from, and that's a that's a whole different conversation because you're also a completely different one, <laughs> as well as being a teacher, you're also a speaker. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, so what do you? So what's uh, what's in the future for you? What are you looking forward to? Um, I think one of the things I, as I said, I just made the transition mentally more than anything else to uh, senior leadership. Yeah. And I'm hoping to get to a head teacher position because I think having understood how kids learn and looking at the educational system over the past years, I think I'm in a position to actually offer value just to change it up for kids. Because even though there's a lot of things in, in place, I find that the kids at the bottom end sometimes get left behind. Yeah. And the kids who are not academically focused, I still think we need to do more for kids, even if they're not academically focused. I know we have vocational subject, but I just think more needs to be done. Not everyone is gonna be signposted for maths, English, science, and all of those key subjects. Some people might want to do a simple career or develop some other skills. And I think we need to facilitate that as schools. Um, one of the elements I want to explore is probably entrepreneurial skills in schools, because yeah. I think that needs to be taught um, to children. The average child that you say, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's always something job related or career related. Not yeah. many people look and say, I want to start my own business or I want to invent something or I want to do something. They're all following that route into a secure job. Yeah. And we need to develop that, especially if we're going to be competitive on a global scale in the UK. We need to develop more entrepreneurs. We need to have kids actually thinking that, yes, I can. And that little skill that I have that everybody think is just something on the side can actually be an income earner to employ other people. So yeah. we need to get them in the mindset, right, that they think that, you know what, I can do this. Absolutely. And it's not just for Bedfordshire, I can do this worldwide because the world is such a small place now. And I think we need to get that intrinsically developed in kids that I can, and there's no limit on what they can do. So for me, that, that would be my focus, getting children to that point where they believe in themselves and believe that they can and actually work towards that particular goal. You can't force anyone to learn. You know the story. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't let him drink. Absolutely. And I, and I think quite a lot of our education is actually forcing that kid to make sure they actually get the grades, which will impact the school going forward without yeah. actually taking time to understand, okay, what path do you want to take? There are many roads to roam. And we need to make sure we're facilitating that for children and not a lot of children becoming disaffected along the way and just can't wait to leave um, school because it's just not fun for them. They're not enjoying the journey and they should be enjoying education. It's fantastic being in school. Most of my fondest memories are from school days and children need to be having those fun going forward because you learn best. You know this, we learn best when you're having fun. One of the Toastmasters motto as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's a really great point to finish on because you know I like, I like to hear laughter in schools you know and I like to hear 
I like to see young people with smiles on their faces. And um, sometimes, you know, I live, I live near a big, um, a big academy. In fact, I've got one way, uh, I've got a big academy and just around the corner, I've got a, a big uh, technical college, you know, um, in South Birmingham. And you see, you, know, you see the young people going off to school sometimes. You think they're not exactly walking along as if they want to go, you know. And um, <laughs> how can we actually make people, young people, want to be educated and want to go to school and want to learn and want, to, you know, want to um, want to achieve? I think I think that is the thing for me is yeah. to you know, help young people to you know to make the right choices and um, and be who they really can be. Definitely. You know, right. so, so so many of us don't. Don't reach our full potential. That um, is so true. And you know, if every, if even, if we could even improve that by a small percentage, that would be, that would be. I think you and I are on the same, on the same path. You know, we're both, both trying to help to young people to achieve the same things. Definitely. So, if anybody would like to catch up with you to have a chat with you, what's the best way of contacting you? I think the best way of contacting me is via Facebook and also my website, which is 321speak.co.uk. So those are the two safest methods, LinkedIn, Facebook, and my website, 321speak.co.uk. Well, for now, uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast. It's been actually really inspiring listening to you, Vinette. And uh, thank, you, thank, you. thank you 